Welcome to the Lesbian Review Podcast. I'm Sheena, and today I'm joined by avid reader and fan of all things lesbic, Benny G. Benny runs several fantastic lesbian fiction spaces online, including the Lesbian Audiobook Group on Facebook, and she's a group moderator for the Yahoo group, The Virtual Living Room. Benny, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. So today I have a really tough task for Benny. She's helping me put together the 10 best UK novels. And let me tell you, this was one of the most difficult lists I had to do. I have been sitting on this list for about three weeks, toing and froing between this book and that book because there are just so many brilliant UK books out there. That's right. How easy did you find it to put together your five? I found it very difficult. I've got to know quite a few UK authors and putting a list together and thinking, well, I'm missing that one and I'm missing this one. Um, and I just hope that they don't come back to bite me and say, you know, why didn't you choose mine? Uh, it, it was very difficult. I really went on books that I felt you know, very memorable for me for one reason or another. Absolutely. Now, eventually I had to figure out how to whittle it down because my list was just way too long. So what I decided on finally is it had to be written by a UK-based author and the main character had to be from the UK. Right. So- I'm talking the whole of the UK, not like just, you know, England. I'm, I'm talking the whole island. Yeah. My first pick is, is a little controversial because a lot of lesbic readers consider this to be this book to be too mainstream to be considered lesbian fiction. I disagree because the main characters are lesbian. And so therefore, Fingersmith by Sarah Waters makes my number one pick. All right. And it's just, it's such a brilliant book. Okay, so it's, I'm going to read you my my blurb that I wrote for my review. London in 1862. Sue Trinder is an orphan who grows up among petty thieves known as fingersmiths. Maud is born into a wealthy family. She works with her uncle on documenting his collection of books. One evening, gentleman enlists Sue's help to propose a scam to get hold of Maud's money. Sue is to play Maud's maid and help her realise that she's in love with her painting teacher, Gentleman. Gentleman will then propose to Maud, and they will marry, and he will be rich. And he will send Maud off to a mental asylum to get rid of her. But things are not as they see, and the novel is full of twists and turns, and it really does keep you guessing. This is my number one pick, and the reason I chose this book, ultimately as my first pick, is because it managed to cross over into mainstream. And it keeps getting excellent reviews, even though the main characters are lesbian. So this is the kind of book that we want to strive to be producing in in lesbian fiction because it's entirely possible for us to cross over. So that's my first pick. I must admit, it's not one I've actually read of Sarah Waters. I saw the TV series, as as you do over here. But I I mean, I have read other books by Sarah Waters, but not that particular one. So I I, I can see why, why you chose it. Sarah Waters is, is great, but The Fingersmith is my absolute favourite of hers. And the TV show, unfortunately, just wasn't as good as the book because the story's too big to encapsulate in such a small time. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Right, well, I'll pick my, um, my, my first book. is by Andrea Bramall, and it's called Nightingale. I'll read the blurb. When Charlie Porter meets Hazar Alim... Her first year of university, she's instantly smitten. Hazar has it all, beauty, talent and brains. 
What she doesn't realise is that Hazard's future has already been decided and Charlie has no place in it. Hazard desperately wants to break with her traditions and stay with Charlie, but when forced to choose, she chooses her family over love. When she realises the choice she made is the worst one possible, it's too late. Years later, while working in Pakistan as a diplomat and negotiator, Charlie receives a phone call from a woman who says her British sister-in-law is to be killed for the family's honour and asks if someone can save her. Charlie and Hazar are on a collision course with destiny. If they make it out alive, can they believe in their love once again? That's the blurb from the back of the book. I've chose the book because, I mean, Andrea, it crosses into the Muslim world. It totally took it out of the normal sort of UK book. I mean, I, I, I gave it to my book club in, locally in Bournemouth here to read, and they were all impressed. It's a very well-written book. You need a box of Kleenex by the side of you when you read it. I was quite blown away when I first read it, and the topic she chose, I would, would have said, would have been a difficult one to keep, you know, the Muslim side positive, if you get my drift. So, uh, but yes, I thoroughly enjoy one, and that's my first pick. Fantastic. What sort of genre does it fall into? Because you actually basically just introduced me to this today. It comes under the genre of romance thriller. Okay. Thriller. So you've got the romance there between uh, Charlie and Azar, but there's a lot of, I can say, really bad sort of thriller-like aspects of it, crime and and, and that family that Hazar is married into. And does it have a happy um, ending? Oh, yes, it has a happy ending. Okay. It has a happy ending, (laughs) but they... Hazard goes through the mill before she gets there, I'm afraid. You know, it's got all about being kept as a prisoner um, within her own home and all that sort of aspect. And uh, there's a, she has a little girl who, who's involved, her daughter, so she, she can't just sort of walk away from her family life. And, um, yes, it, has a, it does have a happy ending, but there's all sorts of things like drugs and that involved. Sounds fantastic. And Bramhall's yeah. a, a very good author. She is. I mean, I've, I've read all her books. I, I particularly like her latest detective books. But of all of them, this is the one that really stands out for me. When was this published? A couple of years ago, I do believe. I will just check the front of the book. Um, I was lucky enough to get a nicely signed copy here. Yes, May 2014. Okay, so it's not actually that old. Fantastic. No. Just never crossed my radar before. That's wonderful. I love discovering new books. Brilliant. But like I say, it goes from London to Pakistan and back again. All right, so my second pick is Courting the Countess by Jenny Frame, which I'm pretty sure everybody's sick of me talking about by now because I've mentioned it just today. But this is such a great audiobook in particular. Like, the narration was spot on. Frame just manages to capture the character arcs and the the storylines so beautifully that... We ended up with two reviewer favorite badges on this book, and we ended up having it as a book club read. So, Mm -hmm. okay, so the story is about Henrietta, Harry Knight, and Annie Brannigan. Harry loves her job as a professor of archaeology at Cambridge University, and when her father dies and she becomes Countess of Axdale, she's pulled away from her beloved career to fulfill a promise she's made to her grandfather. The promise was that she would restore Axdale Hall to its former state of glory. Harry is in need of a housekeeper to help her manage the house while she's overseeing the renovations on the property. Enter Annie, housekeeper extraordinaire, 
and mother to Riley, a sweet and curious girl who's utterly fascinated by history. Harry doesn't believe in true love. She saw her mother destroyed by her father's cruelty and feels a deep sense of abandonment because her mother left when she was a little girl. Annie wants to find a forever home for her and Riley. She wants a place to call her own so that she doesn't have to keep dragging her daughter from post to post. She wants her forever love. The question is, will Harry and Annie be able to put their own fears and histories aside and see what's really between them? This is just a really sweet romance and it's just it's just beautiful have you have you listened to this one no i haven't i haven't got around to that one yet i have got i have bought it it's on my list to read but i haven't actually come got around to it yet you have so, to get uh, to it this is just it's such a sweet book <laughs> mm, lovely but yes i i i, I say I have added it to my list just recently because i've seen your comments about it and other people's comments about it so uh I thought it was well, well worthwhile getting. Absolutely. No, it's, it's brilliant. I'm absolutely in love with it. I've listened to the audiobook three or four times already because it's just such a wonderful, wonderful story. Framed just... This one is just perfect. I, I'm almost worried to, to read anything else of hers because it might, you know, the, it can't be better than this one. So what's your next pick? Well, my next one is by Rachel Dax. It's called After the Night. It's a um, historical romance set at the early part of the 1960s. And it's based on a film by Diana... Well, starring, sorry. A film starring Diana Dawes. Uh, it was an old British actress that lots, lots of people remember. It's uh, set in a women's prison in the 1960s Britain. And the story focuses on the life and characters of Leah, who's a young nurse, and she's new to the medical wing of the prison, and has, her supervisor is Jean. And it becomes clear to Leah that her new career move is not going to be the biggest thing to happen to her. At first she finds that Jean's sort of very standoffish and, and, and doesn't communicate with her, but then she starts falling in love with her. There's lots of things happen to Jean, dealing with the inmates, etc. She's very empathic with the inmates. You know, she treats them as human beings, whereas the other warders tend to treat them as just a number. You know, they're just you know, filth and all this sort of thing. There's a lot of drama. There has been hanging previous to this story, which is based on, the, like I say, the Diana Dawes film. And this is what happens after the Diana Dawes film this is like a, a sequel to that um it gripped me because it was set in a prison and also it was set in a, an era where homosexuality was against the law so they had to be extremely careful how they uh, showed their love to each other and that but again it has a happy ending after many problems with leia's family she's forced away from the prison to work elsewhere but she goes back to find Jean and Everything happens happily ever after. But it, it's very interesting. The way it's written is, is written as they spoke at that time. It's very descriptive. And I was sort of born just before the start of the 1960s. And I can remember seeing aunts and my mother and all dressed that way and, and what have you. Hmm. But I really, I really found it very interesting. It was one of the first lesbian books I actually read because I didn't actually start reading lesbian books until um, 2010. Hmm. Is it a is it a romance predominantly? Yes, it, it's it's a romance, but it's it's more. 
there aren't all the sex scenes and all that sort of thing in it. So, you know, um, it, it's more of a coming out for Leia, really. Okay. And that she's actually engaged at the beginning of the story uh, to be married to a chap, and it's, it's a coming out for her, her and the, the love between the two women. Fantastic. And tell me, is it a, a Thawing the Ice Queen story? Because you mentioned that her boss was quite uh, prickly. Oh, yes, yes. The boss was very standoffish at first. Because she was a lesbian and she knew she was that, she kept her feelings very much buried. And she got very attached to a, one of the prisoners who was hanged. And that's what's happened before this story goes on. And, again, she keeps her feelings very much um, hidden. And Leia has to sort of draw her out. Sounds great. Yeah. Okay, my third one is Lost in the Starlight by Kiki Archer. Yes, I like some of Kiki's books as well. What's not to love about Kiki Archer? I mean, even uh -huh. as, a, as a human being, she's just one of these larger-than-life fun people. Yes, don't, don't talk, get me on that. She once insisted I stood next to her and had a photograph taken, and I'm, I'm barely reaching five foot four, and Kiki's six foot, so, you know, really felt dwarfed there. <laughs> that sounds about right. Her Facebook profile is filled with her with photos of, like, all sorts of people. I love Kiki. I think she's, she's fabulous. But this book in particular was just a spectacular read. This is the story of two women from very different backgrounds. On the one hand, you have singing superstar Honey Diamond, and on the other hand, you have the owner of a popular gossip website, Meg. Honey is a sweet, naive, and overprotected superstar. As a result, she lives an idealistic yet sheltered life and has never really had to ask the tough questions or handle giving difficult answers, even though she's been famous for most of her life and is no stranger to the spotlight. One day, Honey opens a gossip website and sees that there is speculation on whether or not she's a lesbian. She has never had to formally come out because no one has ever actually asked her about her sexuality, and she cannot understand why her mother's so against her publicly announcing that she is, in fact, a lesbian. Meg is smitten with Honey and feels it deeply that Honey hasn't come out to the public. She has no idea the stir she causes when she writes a piece for her website about Honey being a lesbian, and little does she know that this will lead to a life-changing event for both women. Lost in the Starlight is an absolutely charming, hilarious and gorgeous story of two women from different backgrounds learning that life is a little more complicated than they thought when it comes to love and secrets. So this is a beautiful book and it actually was one of our book club reads because it's just, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful little romance. Kiki writes some really good romances and, you know, and I, th I thought her first book, her debut book, was very groundbreaking in the fact that uh, he had a, a couple of teachers. So yes, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that uh, this book is just as good as well. My, my third book is by Claire Ashton, mm. um, That Certain Something, and is a rom-com. And it's a photojournalist, Pierre Benitez-Smith, is a bit of a klutz and a daydreamer. Her head is full of perfect romance with perfect women and the perfect happy ever after ending. Everything is black and white. She wants to meet the perfect woman, fall head over heels in love, and that's it. You have the perfect life. When Pierre meets renowned journalist Kate after a mishap and literally falls into her arms, 
she's in heaven. She's met her perfect woman. Cases is different to Pierre's chalk is to cheese. She exudes elegance, charm, and has an air of wealth about her. When the two women discuss their perfect night, Kate is convinced that the only an expensive night out will be perfection. Pierce sets out to convince Kate otherwise and show her perfect nights can be cheap and a cheerful affair. Together they set off around the streets of London for their one perfect night together. Set in London, this is a beautiful story written with multi-layered lesbic romantic comedy. It is chick-lit for the lesbians at its very best. Claire Ashton's got the balance between the romance and the comedy just right. Neither one overshadows the other. I mean, I, I thought this was a very different book from Claire. I remember uh, when, when she wrote it, discussed it with her a couple of times. It starts off in the, in the first little chapter where Pierre's climbing this tree to get the perfect photograph and encounters a squirrel and consequently ends up falling out of the tree thanks to the squirrel. I really enjoyed that book, and it sort of stays in my mind as, as a, although it, I, I'm not really into chick lit, it, it just stays in my mind as, as a very funny comedy. Absolutely, but Ashton is a phenomenal writer. I've read everything she's written, and her power with words is right up there. The difference in her stories between something like After Mrs. Hamilton and, and this book is... Mm. It's like it's two different authors because it's just a different story entirely. But no, I absolutely agree with you. I think this is a fantastic read and everybody should run out and go get it right now. So. Definitely. But um, I'm afraid after Mrs. Hamilton, I enjoyed the story, but I always felt it was slightly unfinished because you never knew what happened to the two doctors. That's my feel feelings on it. Claire says that she likes leaving a book with a few threads here and there, so... <laughs> She's she wrote it, she's entitled to finish it as she wants. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, yeah, don't read after Mrs. Hamilton if you're looking for a light read, hey? Exactly. <laughs> or Penance. Or Penance. That's a very dark, dark one. That was a dark one, you're absolutely right. Okay. So my, my number four book is It Had To Be You by Claire Lydon, which is actually a little novella that she's giving away for free when you sign up to her, her newsletter. But the thing about this is this is just a really, really good book. So this book actually got favorite badges from three of the reviewers at the Lesbian Review because it's so good. Okay, so the story is about Georgia and Millie, and they're in a relationship, and Millie wants Georgia to come home with her for Christmas. Georgia worries that her, their significant age gap will be a problem. She's old enough to be Millie's mother, and she's not convinced that she will have a lot to talk about with Millie's family. Who's to know that the simple act of meeting the family will turn lives upside down and the past comes back to haunt them all? So that's, in very brief, <laughs> the, the novella It Had to Be You by Claire Lighton. And it's brilliant. I've just read it recently. And, I mean, I like books with older women, uh, being a woman of a certain age myself. And... Um, for some reason, I hadn't signed up to Claire's newsletter. I don't know why until recently. And of course, I got the book and I read it in a couple of evenings. It was it was it was good. Yeah, I I really resonated with that book. It was uh, I enjoyed that myself. What Leiden did so beautifully in this book was balance the the three characters in this in the sort of triangle in such mm. a way that you didn't. I was really struggling as to who I wanted to to be together. Yeah. Because I felt for all of them. 
So yeah. Leiden just did a brilliant job with this book. So, yep, that's that's my number four pick. Well, my number four pick is Christmas Winterbourne by Jen Silver. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed this book because you had the two generations. You had the, the story of uh, Will and Gabby trying to uh, put a, a Christmas on for their lesbian clients. And Gabby being very, very near the end of her term for a pregnancy. And the fact that Gabby has suddenly turned cold towards Will because she thinks she's up to no good. Whereas Will is just trying to prepare a surprise and that. And then you've got the other characters. You've got a lesbian couple who have come for Christmas. And then one of the partners walks out and disappears and to start a life with somebody else. You've got the nosy investigator who's come uh, because uh, Will's surrogate mother was called Kim and she left the house to Will. And this uh, um, journalist is trying to find out sort of Kim's story and and, and find out the dirt on Kim, who had been um, famous in her own right. Then you've got, of course, Gabby's Italian parents who are a hoot especially the father, and I think all in all, it, it, it's quite, I mean, there's so many characters in there, and they're all, you know, got their own quirks, and they're very much three-dimensional. I mean, I read it at sort of Christmas, around at Christmas time, so it certainly buoyed up my Christmas holiday, and, uh, and I think Jen does write very good books, um, you know, of the older lesbian. This is just one of them. I applaud anybody who can write an ensemble cast as large as that in a book. Yeah. And keep the yeah. story straight because that's that's a feat on its own, hey? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But that, like I said, that is my book number four. Fantastic. All right. I could have chosen any of her books, but I chose that one. I think it's a great pick. So my final one is No Good Reason by Carrie Hunter. So. Mm-hmm. This is the first novel in the Dark Peak series. It introduces Santa Jensen and Meg Fielding. Santa's a detective and Meg is a doctor. They've been best friends for a long time and occasionally they're friends with benefits. They are both terrified of ruining their friendship by becoming a couple and so they keep things as they are. The story centers around Santa who goes out running and discovers a woman who's barely alive after a fall off of a cliff. Her hands are bound and she's not wearing much clothing. Senna is part of the team to investigate the kidnapping while Meg tries to keep the woman alive at the hospital. When the woman wakes up and begins to speak, what she says turns Senna's world on its head, and she realizes the time could be running out for her to catch the kidnapper. This is a high-quality thriller, and what I love about this book is it has incidental lesbians in it. The story is not revolving around a romance, so the lesbians are... A cop and a doctor and they just happen to be lesbians it's not a, a whole story built around the fact that they are lesbians right and i think we right. need to see more of this because this is what's gonna help us to cross over into more mainstream this book could go be on mainstream thriller charts today it's such a yeah. good book that's my number five I, I, I do find that carrie puts her characters through the mill somewhat you know they also get over one being beaten up or whatever falling down a mountain or, or whatever. And the next thing is they're being shot at or, 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 you know, I often wonder if there are any fit state to get to the bedroom scenes <laughs> at times. But uh, there we are. <laughs> I mean, 
She's a paramedic, so she knows what she's writing about. Yeah. No, I love it. I love that she really takes us to the extreme. She doesn't pussyfoot around on the story, and I think that that's brilliant. My number five is also a crime book. It's the uh, Ashley McCoy one by Jade Winters called A Walk Into Darkness. It's one of Jade's earlier books before she got into the erotica and, and all that, although she has since written a sequel. And it says that Detective Sergeant Ashley McCoy's latest case isn't going to be easy to solve. 25 years previously, a young girl went missing in southeast England. Almost everyone had given up on any hope of solving the mystery of her sudden disappearance. Her family have never given up wanting the closure they were so desperate for. When psychic Aaron Davis has a vivid vision of a murder, the cold case of the Woodlands killer is reopened and given to Ashley and her team to delve into. As Ashley and her work partner Dale begin their investigation, more questions than answers are thrown up. During the investigation, Ashley meets Tasha through the dog walking agency she contacts to walk her dog Muffin. Both women are attracted to one another but struggle against their feelings. Tasha has family commitments that she feels obligated to fulfil and she can't set herself or Olivia up to the heartbreak of leaving Ashley in the near future. Both women feel that their love could be the real deal. Is there any way for Tasha to stay in England? What will they both decide? The decision may well be taken out of their hands entirely by circumstances beyond their control. This well-written mystery, murder, intrigue, romance have been totally hooked from the very first page through to the last page. I do like cold case programs, and this cold case book sort of hit the spot at the time. Has uh, Jade Winters written other stuff? Yes, she's written quite a, quite a bit. Um, she's written ordinary romances. She's written erotica. She also partners up with another author, and they write quite vivid erotica. And Jade's also written a, a sequel to this particular book. Her first book I read, um, I think it was the first full-length lesbian novel I'd actually read, Taught Me Down from the Edge, it was called. The main character isn't actually lesbian. Her best friend is. Her best friend has, has um, a lot to, to do. It's about a woman who, whose husband has been acting strangely and she thinks he's having an affair. And it turns out what he's trying to do is hide the fact that he's got cancer and he's terminally ill and he doesn't want his wife to know. Oh, wow. And... Um, it, 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 like I say, that could be very much so a mainstream book. But um, I suppose to, to, to agree, so could this one, hmm. to be honest, because, you know, the two main characters are lesbian, but the story isn't so much about them being lesbian as to solving this case. Fantastic. It sounds amazing. I actually, when I was um, looking it up, I was like, oh, this sounds fab. I should totally get this book. Right. That's good. So you've... That's you've... Good. Definitely introduced me to a couple of awesome new books and authors. Thank you very much for that. You're welcome. Uh, there's a couple of honourable mentions. These are ones that almost almost made the list but didn't quite. And the first honourable mention was Poppy Jenkins by Claire Ashton. And the only reason it didn't make the list is because I knew Benny was going to put on That Certain Something by Claire Ashton. So I didn't want two Ashton books taking up spots on the list, even though they probably both deserve it. And... The second one, which almost made Benny's list, was Secret Lies by Amy Dunn. It's a really great young adult novel about abuse and sort of coming to terms with yourself. 
Amy Dunn is another one of these these authors to like keep an eye out for because she writes a whole lot of different types of stories, but she's also really uh, quite a good author. Yes, she is. I mean, I remember meeting her before that book came out. I, I went to one of the Bold Stroke Books Nottingham weekends and I met Amy there and she was talking to me about it. And the subject veered me away from actually reading it. But anyway, I, I took courage in my hands and I read it. And I, I was very surprised at how well the book was written and, and how, you know, the fact it was about abuse, it, it was so readable, if you, if you know what I mean, even for some people who have been affected by that in their, in their own lives. Yeah, she handled it with a very uh, deft hand. Very much so, yes. And has gone on to write other good books as well. Glad to hear it wasn't a one-off wonder. Yes, so, yes. In fact, there are so many very good UK-based authors that I'm actually surprised we're not seeing more uh, prevalence in, in top 10 charts and things because they're just so good. The difference I find between UK authors and American authors is, is in lesbic and in general fiction is that UK authors tend to there's there's almost more depth to their books. Yes. But I, I find that um, unfortunately there's one particular American publisher whose editors tend to cancel out the Britishness of some of the books by taking out our language. You know, you suddenly find cookies where and also with the written biscuits or car lot instead of car park and pants instead of trousers. And, you know, it infuriates me so much that I don't end up reading to the end of the books. I mean, I Beecham is another good British author and I've read several of her books. But, you know, I'm reading about Devon one minute and I feel as if I'm stuck in some American town or city the next because the words don't seem to correlate with the story. I think that's a problem because you're destroying some of the magic that is the book. And I understand that you want to make it friendly for the American market because that's where the, most of the sales are going to come from. But I also think that Americans are not given enough credits to be able to do the transition and to read UK lesbian. And if they have to look up a word once or twice, that's also fine, you know? Yes, I mean, you know, I'm quite happy reading American books set in America and, and learning new words. Exactly. Um, but I don't expect it where both main characters are British and uh, to have Americanisms in, in the book. I mean, Carrie Hunter has written a couple of books about where one main character is American and the other one's British. And that comes over very well. You know, in order to distinguish between the two, the Britishness is left in. But yes, I mean, like I say, we have got a good stable of Lesbian authors, and uh, I think that uh, you know the British lesbian audience should go out there and, and read them. I think the whole world should go read British lesbian because it's yeah. brilliant, and it's a different kind of a read. The American American books are snappy and they're fast paced and they're very dramatic and they tend to be um, well plotted in terms of story arcs. They're almost like movies on paper, but the British ones are more. If you're looking for something a little bit more that sort of feels like literature, <laughs> you know, it feels... A bit gritty. Yes, it feels... A bit more gritty, yeah. Yes, deeper and more meaty. It's a different kind of a read, but absolutely. Mm. I think that there's space in the world for both. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. 
and that. And um, I mean, I, I like reading books from all over the world, learning new places. I mean, I like books with lots of description, you know, set in really good places like you know, the Alps or Scotland or uh, the Australian outback or, or wherever, uh, you know. It, um, and those books are given a lot of description. The place becomes part of the story, becomes its own character in a way. Absolutely, absolutely. I love reading about about the UK and just discovering the the funny little things that make it so different. Because like in in Carrie Hunter's book, they were eating what were they eating? It was like curry and chips or something. That's very strange for me, you mm-hmm. know. Or the use of the word biscuits versus cookies for us, it's sort of interchangeable. You know, yes. But it's very biscuits for you guys and cookies for the Americans. So it's it's fascinating. Those funny little language things for me is fascinating because I just love I love learning about the cultures. You know, so don't yeah. So don't take it out of the books. Keep it in the books because it it adds to the whole experience. Yeah, we don't have many many authors from your part of the world, do we? No, I don't think we have any authors from my part of the world that I can think of. Not a single one. We have a very very small writing community here, just generally. Benny, thank you so much for your wonderful, wonderful list and all the, the work that went into putting that together. You're welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me onto your podcast. You have been a fantastic guest and I thank you so much.